Hey everyone, welcome to my third podcast. It's been a while. This one is so unscripted, although I'm pretty sure I said that about the first two, but I've just been motivated about 30 seconds ago to do a podcast today on something that came up quite recently with a number of people around me. And I became really quite motivated to try and help them to understand what they were thinking, where it was coming from, and the reality of the situation. And to really help people. And this is something that so many people online who have been in abusive relationships, particularly those where the abuser is experiencing a personality adaptation such as narcissism um, or antisocialism, that doesn't sound quite right, or psychopathy, And I want to talk today a little bit about navigating the pain that comes from seeing the abusive person in a new relationship. And I see so many memes online about this topic. And especially as a lot of people experience this when they're at their most vulnerable, because sometimes these individuals get into relationships mere hours after breaking up with somebody, at least weeks, if not months And even when it's a longer extent of time, there is still so much pain that comes up and so much invalidation that the person feels. And I want to navigate um, this terrain a little bit today and explain some of the pain that's actually coming up for people. And also to put a few things in place, which I hope will help those listening to understand that their pain, while is completely valid, and is accepted and is loved as it is, their pain is not coming from a truth, uh, or at least the truth that they feel that they're experiencing. So I'm kind of, again, as I always start off with these podcasts, kind of talking in a bit of a riddle. So let's get down to the basic brass tacks. Very British expression there. So what I find time and time again with people online who have experienced narcissistic abuse is the pain that they're already going through coming out of these spaces, the dysregulation, the complex trauma, the chemical dependency, the gaslighting, the invalidation, the the eroded sense of self, all of these horrific things, navigating parallel parenting if they're having to share children with the abuser, uh, having to navigate being scapegoated, being blamed, being blacklisted by people around them if they have a, a close-knit community of people that they share in contact with. And they're already stewing in this pain and there's so much complexity in what they're, spe- they're feeling and they're experiencing. And then to put icing on top of a really, really terrible cake, they see their partner in a new relationship. And... I think on in any circumstance when there's not been a considerable amount of time between the departure of yourself from the last relationship, there is always going to be a certain pull within you that maybe you feel a certain thing. But especially in these relationships, there is so much more pain to be experienced. And I'm going to explain why. So I don't like to generalise, so I'm hoping that I don't generalise at all in this conversation, but... What I find is not all, but a lot of people that come out of these abusive spaces, again, specifically with individuals who are abusive and experiencing narcissistic personality or antisocial personality or psychopathy, is a lot of these individuals 
from my experience, more the narcissistic type as opposed to the full-blown psychopathic type. And I recognise that psychopaths are narcissistic by default, but it doesn't tend to be the really psychopathic people that get into relationships very quickly. What often happens is there is a longer length of time because, again, from my understanding, psychopathy isn't uh, a disorder or isn't an adaptation based on the need for self-esteem in the same way that narcissism is. And so individuals who are experiencing narcissistic personality tend to need to have a new supply, and I'll use that word, but new supply very, very quickly. It is a personality adaptation based on the fact that this person who is experiencing this disorder, this adaptation, this response, this trauma, um, cluster of trauma symptoms and behaviours, is not able to validate themselves. And so they have to be in a new relationship very quickly because they need somebody external to them to validate for them that they are worthy, to validate that love, um, to validate all the things they need in that moment. So I tend to find, and this is not a generalization, this is not a one rule fits all, that people on the narcissistic spectrum, abusive individuals on the narcissistic spectrum, if I want to differentiate even further, tend to get into relationships fairly quickly. And as a survivor, or from the standpoint of a survivor, should I say, putting my shoes into other people's experiences, not my own, is that so many people get re-traumatized when mere hours, mere days, mere weeks, perhaps early months of coming out of these spaces and experiencing such horrific trauma and so many other different complexities that are going on in their life and in their body. And then they see the abusive person in a relationship. And usually what they see, depending on that particular person and their motives and what they need to do, is a lot of these individuals will see this new partner being heralded as the best thing since sliced bread. They're my soulmate. I finally found the one. Um, posting pictures, lovely, ecstatically beautiful pictures with their new partner, showing them off on social media when they never did so for you. And this, for people in those early stages of the relationship, it's re-traumatizing. And it feeds into the narrative that that abusive person has been trying to integrate into their thinking for the last one, two, three, four, ten, twenty years of that relationship, which is you are to blame. It is your fault. You are unlovable. You are the reason I am being abusive. You are the reason this relationship is not working. It's not me, it's you. And so when the person coming out of this space sees a partner, an ex-partner getting into a relationship, and this time, rather than hiding the new partner, they're sharing them across social media. They're showing them off down the street, accidentally bumping into you um, in a place where they wouldn't normally be. And they have their girlfriend or their boyfriend or their partner on their arm. And they're all loving and cuddly and smiley and doing lots of things that they never did with you. Things that maybe you've asked them to do, you begged them to do at one point in that relationship. And that can be really re-traumatizing for people. And they go into the spiral and especially in those early few weeks, months, you are so vulnerable to believing that it was you then. You were the problem. If they're so happy together and he or she made that change, maybe they've changed. Maybe 
it just took the one for them to change and I clearly wasn't the one and they're the one and there's all that extra level of grief about incompatibility and maybe there is something wrong with me and it was I'm to blame for the dynamic and if I just tried harder if I just loved more if I just was this way this person would have loved me in the way that he loves or she loves that person they he's and she is parading everywhere online and talking about with friends in close circles and all the other sort of modalities and methods that they can do so and the first thing I want to say is especially in those early stages there is a lot of trauma surrounding going no contact and one of the things I work with with survivors is really working through that no contact um, stage in in the recovery because as somebody who took many months to do it myself it was even when I did it one of the most difficult things I had to do post-abuse and there was so much pain in making that that decision which was a final decision and so in those early stages the reason why or often the reason why if it's online you see the abusive person in a new relationship clearly a loving beautiful one that you never had it's because you haven't been able to go no contact or possibly because you shared children with the abuser and so therefore you cannot completely cut them out of your life in the way that you'd like them to 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 leave so these thoughts go round your head. Uh, they feed into the narrative. They feed into these spirals of grief and anger and frustration and sadness and disappointment and confusion and everything else in between. And your mind starts thinking, it clearly was me. They've clearly changed. It was because of me. I wasn't as lovable. I wasn't as beautiful. I wasn't as fit and healthy, as rich, as interesting, as funny, as etc. Insert here as the other person is and you're flushed with this wave I can imagine of grief and the main part or the main purpose of this podcast is to actually state a few true facts and many theories and ideals around abusive individuals who are on the narcissistic spectrum who are experiencing narcissistic personality or antisocial personality or psychopathy grounding you in some true hard facts which you may need to listen to over and over and over and over and over again until you're able to internalize and embody what I'm about to say. So first of all, let's address a partner who may not be experiencing a personality disorder but may still or is still abusive and you see them getting into a new relationship, possibly a week, possibly six weeks, possibly six months, a year down the line. For anybody here who is listening, who has worked on themselves healing-wise, you will know that actually it takes a lot of time and a lot of energy to change patterns of behaviour within yourself, ways of thinking that you've held onto or existed within. It takes years. It takes years of steady progress, of motivation, of commitment to your healing. If you see an abusive person, and we're talking specifically about those who aren't experiencing personality disorders or personality adaptations, if you see an abusive person getting into a relationship so fast, know this, they don't have the capacity to change in that short amount of time. Anybody jumping from one relationship to another is unhealthy, regardless of whether there's abuse involved. involved. And the reason why is because 
There is always something to take from another relationship. And there's always time in between to integrate that, to figure out for yourself how you showed up in that last relationship, anything you wish to iron out, anything you want to heal from, move away from, so that you don't repeat those same dynamics in new relationships. And if the person that you've been in a relationship with was abusive, and they've jumped from you to somebody else very quickly, there is no way on this planet that they have suddenly taken a magic pill and healed themselves from being abusive. They have not given themselves time to really reflect on the relationship. They certainly haven't received enough in the way of healing work. They could have spent two months extensively working 24 hours a day on themselves and instill that in that amount of time it's not enough to really make some real differences to dig down deep into dysfunctional behavior to recognize their patterns of behavior and how coercive control shows up how emotional unavailability shows up how abuse um, shows up in their behaviors so when you see this person, again, I'm speaking exclusively for those who are not experiencing a personality adaptation, there is no way that they have healed themselves. They are quite literally going to repeat the pattern with you from you that you experienced with this new person. Maybe the dance will be a little bit different. It's not going to be cookie cutter. But the reality is if you're an abusive person and you jump from one relationship to another, even with a year in between, it is unlikely that you've made enough progress to not be at least somewhat abusive. Now, for many of you listening, uh, you know I um, specialise in narcissistic abuse. uh, And if you believe that the person who abused you was narcissistic or was experiencing narcissistic personality or antisocial personality or psychopathy, let me tell you this. The likelihood of them being able to change their dysfunction, their destructiveness, their abuse, their cruelty, everything that you experienced is so small, is so, so small, that even with years, perhaps decades of extensive healing where they are motivated to show up weekly, to express and open themselves, still in this amount of time, there are so few in the way of actual healthy outcomes. There are people who have been in therapy, who are diagnosed as having antisocial personality, have been in therapy for 20 years, 25 years, and yet the progress they've made is incredibly short. This is a pervasive pattern, a personality that is so deeply ingrained in a person. It's not just a set of behaviors. And this is why I use the word narcissistic abuse. I need to do another podcast on that altogether. But it's not just a pattern of behaviors. It's values, it's core beliefs. It's everything that manifests in that person's day-to-day life. And it's so deeply rooted. And if we go back to the root of narcissistic personality, I'll just pick that one in particular. The root of that personality, because many people think that these people are incredibly, um, have incredibly high levels of self-esteem and really in love with themselves. And that's where the misconception comes in. Narcissistic personality, the root of this personality adaptation is the fact that they are unable to validate their own self-esteem. They're unable to do this internally. So they turn externally to have others regulate and 
motivate their self-esteem. They are, for all intents and purposes, a really dysfunctional form of codependency because they have to rely on the external validation and praise and love and attention of others to validate themselves. And as well as this, they, how do I word this? As well as the need for that validation of self-esteem, they also have so many deep layers and levels of protective mechanisms in place to avoid any form of intimacy and that includes intimacy and connection with themselves this is why we say that they wear a mask why they are the person they need to be in front of the person that they are with in that moment why there would be one way for somebody and one way for somebody else it's because they do not have a clear sense of self they do not have a clear sense of identity they're not able to build genuine connection because they're so disconnected from themselves and they're not able to build pure intimacy because intimacy for them is vulnerability weakness and can take them back to the deep root of shame they have inside of them and quite simply they do not want to address that deep rooted shame and so they've buried it under layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of protective mechanisms to keep them from having to address their deep rooted shame this is why they refuse to take accountability and responsibility for themselves why they use projection as one of their main focal points. It is your fault, you're to blame. It takes the limelight away from them as a person and puts it on somebody else. If they can blame the crazy exes, the psychopathic exes, um, if they can say that, oh, I've just been so unlucky, everyone I've been in a relationship with has been crazy, you know? If they can put the blame on other people, They never have to hold themselves accountable. Therefore, they never have to take responsibility. Therefore, they never have to sit with themselves and go internal and actually go, wow, I have hurt and abused and been very, very cruel and dangerous to a lot of people. They simply cannot do it. And so these individuals going into therapy have these protective mechanisms going so deeply ingrained in their psyche and in their belief system and in their behaviors that they're alongside, should I say, coupled with the fact that depending on how psychopathic an individual is, it depends on how little or how much insight they actually are able to, to experience. That lack of insight, as well as their protective mechanisms, mean that even going into these healing spaces, sitting with a trauma coach, sitting with a therapist, sitting with a breath worker, doing ayahuasca, meditating for 10 hours a day, all of the healing practices on the planet, taking as many psychedelics as you want the reality is these protective mechanisms are so deeply ingrained that nothing or very little is going to be able to get there because it's kind of like one of those um boxes that you see i don't think it's indiana jones but it's definitely a a show where you know you open one box and there's another inside and you open that box and there's another inside and you keep going and going and going and there's just smaller 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 box And with narcissistic individuals, those experiencing narcissistic personality, um, it's so deeply rooted. There are so many layers that quite literally it's next to impossible for a professional healer to be able to navigate down deep enough 
there's so many protective mechanisms to protect that person that they can do 25, 30 years of healing and still not make any progress. So I just wanted to put that out there as well. I think that's really, really vital to know that because when we see this, these individuals now parading new girlfriends looking very happy with their new boyfriend um, or their new squeeze or they're engaged or they're having children and claiming to have met their soulmate, when we stick, uh, sit in that, stick to our narrative, stick to our understanding, stick to our experience and ground ourselves in knowing what they are, who they are, that is going to be one really amazingly strong anchor that can root us to knowing what I'm seeing right now is not real. One of the big things as well, which is worth bearing in mind, is we know that many individuals on the narcissistic spectrum who are abusive use the psychological abuse tactic of gaslighting. They want to deny your reality because it benefits them to have you question your reality. They, for some of them, if they've got a sadistic streak in them, and not everyone does, but some do, they love to see you suffer. They love to see you being confused. When you're confused, you're not able to ground yourself in the truth, and therefore you don't see the truly abusive, exploitative, manipulative, coercive, controlling, violent, aggressive, um, neglectful behavior that they're doing or they're exhibiting in the relationship. So it benefits them to gaslight you. And when we see these, um, or when survivors, should I say, as I'm speaking to you who's listening, when you see your ex-partner, if you see, because some of us go no contact and we don't, but if you see your ex-partner and they're parading a new partner around, just know, first of all, they have not changed. They don't have, for the most part, the capabilities to change. And if they did, it would take decades. So they haven't suddenly taken a miracle pill and changed in the space of a week, a month, a year, even multiple years. Not possible. If you truly believe what you've experienced and you're able to validate yourself in knowing I was abused by somebody experiencing narcissistic personality or somebody experiencing psychopathy, then you know they cannot change. The second thing is them parading these individuals, them turning up down your road, them posting um, profile shots of them and their new love, who is their soulmate, etc. This is them gaslighting again, but not just gaslighting you. Gaslighting who they need to gaslight, feeding into the narrative of what they need to feed in order to get what they need in that moment. And this is the next point I want to go on to. As a disclaimer, I want to say that while there are certain behaviours that individuals on the narcissistic spectrum, all the way from narcissistic personality up to psychopathy, um, display, while there are lots of very recognised behaviors that many of them exhibit. I want to make it known that I do not have the mind reading capabilities to be for certain, to say for certain, should I say, that I know exactly what that person is saying. So when I speak about the following um, examples of the motivations behind why they're parading this new partner, um, I am going to give you many options because there are many options to give. And I'm not saying for one second, again, I don't generalize, all narcissistic individuals who are abusive will be thinking this when they do this. It's simply not the case. All I can say is that 
individuals experiencing narcissistic personality, antisocial and psychopathy who are abusive um, will not be posting and parading a new partner online or in person for good motivations. They're not doing it because they've suddenly been able to recognize what it is to love a person, genuinely connect with them on an intimate level, be vulnerable and authentic in themselves and completely be a wonderful person who doesn't abuse anymore. That's the narrative we can sell ourselves, right? That's simply not the case. They are motivated by what they need to do for themselves in that given moment. And so there are many motivations. Again, depending on where they are on the scale, if they are highly psychopathic, I would assume from my personal experience uh, that they're far more calculated and they're far more aware of their behaviours and their motivations behind their behaviours. Again, this is not generalisation, I cannot speak for them. But what I can say is from my experience and what I witnessed, they are far more calculated, they're far more sadistic, some of them, and they can recognise what they are doing and they can recognize the dysfunction in what they're doing but obviously still avoid accountability and then there are those that perhaps are not so aware they lack the insight uh, to be able to really sit back and realize their true motivations they may kid themselves they may lie to themselves without realizing they're kidding or lying to themselves about their real true motivations behind why they're posting these pictures or they're they're parading their their new partner in the street um, or outside the school gate if you're picking up a child. Um, they may be lying to themselves, but there's never going to be a good motivation behind why they're doing it. So let's dive into a few reasons why an abusive person on the narcissistic spectrum, from narcissistic personality to antisocial all the way up to psychopathy, why do they post pictures online gush about new partners, parade them on the street, do whatever they possibly can to promote that they're in a new relationship. Well, first and foremost, they need to do whatever they need to do to secure this new partner. As I will mention in many of my articles and many of my posts and many of my podcasts, they lack the ability to form genuine connections. They do not have the capacity to be intimate with another on a genuine, healthy level. So therefore, as we know the term love bombing, which I really don't like that term, I may have to come up with a new one. There's no nothing in terms of love involved in in their behavior. But they have to love bomb their new partner to secure that attachment from them, to secure that trust and that commitment to them because they generally cannot do it authentically and naturally. So parading that person down the street, showing them off, texting them, texting all your friends pictures of this new girlfriend, this new boyfriend, posting them on social media over and over and over again, first and foremost, is a way of, for some, supply to have them attach to you very quickly, have them attached to the abuser very quickly, should I say, not to you. And some cases, they don't have to do that. I was never paraded on social media. The abusive person um, didn't feel the need to. They had other ways, other means to have me attached to them very quickly, very prematurely and very strongly. Whereas 
other abusive people need to promote their partners on social media, make them feel special, make them feel loved, put them up on that pedestal right up there so they feel that they are being loved and cherished um, and saved um, from the monotony of all their past relationships that never worked and oh my goodness, this one's different this time around, they're my soulmate. So first and foremost, they are most likely doing it as a way of them love bombing. Some people they do it to, some people they don't. There's no generalization, there's no pattern of behavior necessarily. And so if you, for example, were somebody who was not paraded on social media, in fact, you were hidden on social media, and then you're finding new partners being paraded on social media, this is not a personal attack on you. This is because they didn't need to do that for you. All circumstances were different where... Unfortunately, I say it out loud, they had many other people, many other hands in many other pockets around the world. And putting you on social media would have cut them off very damn quickly. But with this new person, they're the only person right now. Or they really, really, really want the supply of what this person can offer them. So they're willing to parade them online and lose all the other ones, all the other fluff that they had around the world in order to secure this one. So there's lots of motivations around that. And I know people will take it personally if they see the ex-partner parading um, their new partner online and they never did that for you, it's not, um, don't take it personally. It's no reflection on you at all. It's a reflection of what they need to do to secure that supply. Second reason why they may be parading um, a new partner around online or in person, to hurt you. Even if you're blocked, even if they don't think they're going to bump into you, even if there's very small chance you're going to run into them. Posting you or the new partner on social media is a way of them thinking maybe in some way it will get back to you and it's going to hurt that person. And I take pleasure out of hurting that person. Now, this may be taking pleasure out of hurting you because they may be sadistic and they may take pleasure out of that. It may also be because they perceive you as evil, as wrong, as disgusting, as horrible, as abusive, they've now shamed the very idea of you. And they're full of rage probably for you, depending on where they are on the spectrum. And so therefore, as a way of hurting, it's a way of getting back at you for being such a horrible person. You ruined my life. You were abusive towards me. All the narrative that actually is what you experienced, they're projecting back onto you again. The relationship didn't work because of you. And so if they can hurt you in some roundabout way, a lot of them are going to do that. So that's the second reason why. A third reason why is because they want to ensure that friends, I put friends in inverted commas, family and people in their circle, they keep within their circle for their own uses are won over with the idea that their brother, daughter, son-in-law, daughter-in-law, whoever it is, is in a successful, loving, happy, healthy relationship. Why? Because if the abusive partner has abused you so much and done so much damage, there's a fear that you'll come back into the picture. There's a fear that you'll come back and sell the narrative that you were abused by them and then they're going to have their entire well-being, their entire livelihood questioned. So if they can get themselves 
a new supply, parade this inverted commas love that they're experiencing with a really healthy person who loves them back and they're in a successful relationship, they're selling the narrative to everybody around them that you are the problem, you're the dysfunctional one, you're not to be believed. So they are covering their tracks. At the same time, they may be motivated because like I said, there's many motivations here and we don't know all of the motivations or any of the motivations they may be thinking. But at the same time, they're also motivated to prove to themselves that you were the problem. If they can be in inverted commas healthy, they don't understand what healthy is, but healthy, loving relationship. Look, this person loves me. I'm in a relationship now. It's successful. It's nothing like the last relationship, which, oh my goodness, they are trying to convince themselves that you are the dysfunctional one as well. Because, hey, if I was the dysfunctional one, I wouldn't be in this new relationship. Hello. So they're trying to convince themselves. And a lot of the time they will convince themselves because that's a coping mechanism, a protective barrier in place. I am not to blame. I am not abusive. I am not dysfunctional. It's everybody else's fault. It's everybody else's problem. I've just been the unlucky one. I am the victim. And in this case, they can prove that narrative to themselves. I say prove in inverted commas, but you can't see me doing the inverted commas. They prove to themselves in that moment that they are not abusive. Another big one, which I've noticed with a lot of people. Wow, this is a big one. Sometimes in abusive spaces, it goes too far. I mean, abuse, if there's any abuse, it's gone too far. But sometimes an abusive person goes too far in what they do. And they leave themselves vulnerable to police investigations, criminal lawsuits, civil lawsuits, repercussions of many legal, um, many legal ways, routes, etc. And they need to ensure that they have the safety and they can back up their narrative in this way. And this is where the calculatedness comes into play. This is where you'll find people high on the spectrum, people at the psychopathic end, will try to cover up the abuse and the one step too far that they did in that abusive relationship so that they can cover up their tracks if the police come calling. If they're in a loving relationship with somebody and that person is over the moon and, oh my goodness, no, he hasn't laid a hand on me. She's never once been emotionally abusive. She's only been any, everything but anything and loving. No, what's it? She's only been loving. There we go. Cut out a few words there. If they can feed that narrative long enough in their supply, in that person, they are protecting themselves. They now have a witness, a witness to their non-abusive ways. And unfortunately, as calculated as that sounds, the reality is that there are many people out there that do this. And going on another step, and this is where it becomes really calculated, and I know there are many people who've spoken to me about similar things to this, and they simply cannot believe it. No, this must be a coincidence. This can, this cannot be calculated. They cannot be that calculated and devious, and, and, and oh, I, I can't. And the reality is it's something our brain can never fathom. But psychopathic individuals in particular can go a step further. They can create, fabricate, whatever you wish to call it, scenarios in order for them to really ensure that they are safe from experiencing criminal charges, prison, time, 
<sighs> civil lawsuits, losing houses, uh, everything, you name it. So I have heard of so many stories of psychopaths who have weaned their way into dating police detectives when they know that they are being questioned about their abusive behaviours and possibly going down the route of being charged for them and imprisoned for them. And they've wormed their way into dating police detectives on the mere basis that they can manipulate those police detectives to kind of do things within the system to make sure they don't get convicted. There are many stories I've read online of psychopaths who have got themselves into relationships with narcissistic abuse survivors, with domestic violence advocates, with other people who've had experience of violence as a way of protecting them so that when the police come calling, they'll go, no, no, because look, I'm in a relationship with somebody who is a narcissistic abuse survivor. I'm in a relationship with somebody who advocates for domestic violence and works for this company or does this or does that. And so if I was abusive, they would know, surely. I know so many calculated ways that psychopathic individuals have coerced people into relationships based on their motivations and their needs to protect themselves. This is something that goes deep and dark into that ugh, burrow of a place that the brain simply cannot fathom at times, that there really is people out there so cold and calculated in that moment that would quite literally date somebody for possible years just on the basis of protecting themselves from criminal offences and imprisonment and being chased by the law for money and whatever else they need to avoid and escape from. That's the reality of the situation. So, although a long-winded way of saying this, what I wanted to say is coming back to individuals who are in those early stages of relationships or in the late stages of the relationship to their recovery, should I say, their, their recovery process, who has recently uh, seen pictures of their abusive part, ex-partner, or especially, like I said, in those initial weeks and months where everything's so raw, so difficult. Please know the basic of it. Know they haven't changed. It's not physically possible for them to change in that short amount of time. If they are narcissistic, sociopathic, psychopathic, the likelihood of change across decades is next to nilch. Nilch, zilch. So when you see what you're seeing, what you're actually seeing is gaslighting. You're actually seeing things put in place as ways to big up, to dispose of, to advocate for, the abusive person protecting themselves. Um, they haven't magically changed. They're not suddenly a lovely, wonderful person who has the capabilities of love. If they abused you, the relationship between yourself and them was incredibly unhealthy. They simply then do not have the capacity to get into a new relationship and make it healthy. Patterns of behaviour in adults are deep-rooted. Conditionings, core beliefs, values are deep-rooted from childhood. It takes years and years and years to understand the motivations behind beliefs and core, core values and behaviours and work through what stimulates them, what ignites them, what brings them out of you 
and then methods to move away from that slowly over time with compassion and love and grace and consistent consistency and, and constant um, monitoring of what you're doing. And for anyone on their healing journey, you know that even changing the smallest of patterns can take months, if not years. A small single pattern can take you years to navigate away from. So unless these individuals, as I said at the beginning, have this unicorn that arrives once a week and plants them with a pill that automatically makes them non-abusive, it's not going to have happened. And so what you're actually seeing is what they want you to see because they know it will hurt you, because they want people to see. So it, again, is a protective mechanism from really seeing the true them um, masking and protecting themselves. That is their number one priority. Having that self-esteem met with people going, oh my goodness, wow, new partner, you look amazing together, you look so happy, da-da-da. They want that self-esteem for sure. Um, they want to be validated consistently. So they're not doing it because they suddenly love this person more than you. They don't have the capacity to love you. They do not have the capacity to love. They are simply infatuated by a person and what the person can give them. And they've mistaken that for love. So I don't know if it's been particularly helpful. But I'm hoping at least I've given some insight into some of the motivations behind why you may be seeing an ex-abusive partner parading this apparently amazing, perfect relationship in your face, outside school with picking up children, um, out in the street, at a workplace, um, anywhere, anywhere, on social media, online, accidentally sending pictures through on your phone, whatever it is, there's a reason why they're doing it. And it's not because they love this person or they may think they do, but it's not because they love this person or that they've changed. It's simply because in this moment, it serves them best to do what they're doing. And there will come a time. They'd like to deny it. They will never admit to it. There will come a time when they lose interest in wearing this mask that they're currently wearing to attach this person to them, to love bomb this person into feeling that they're trustworthy and lovable. There'll come a time when that mask slips. And when that mask slips, that person will slowly start to be eroded. That person will slowly start to experience the same neglect you did, the same abuse you did, the same violence you did. May take you longer, them longer, may take them less time. The reality is it's going to be the same. Whether they deny it, whether you deny it, it's going to be the same. And one thing that... I work through with survivors um, because one of the aspects I should just add this in here one of the aspects I work with in particular is is um, navigating and exploring the complexity of the grief that comes from these relationships because there's so many layers of grief that aren't often addressed in grief counseling and um, any form of like grief grief <laughs> grief therapy and one of the complexities of grief that I've navigated through and I help clients do is understanding the complexity of grief that comes with the fact that it was real to you. You loved that person because you had the capacity to love that person. You loved that person because for all intents and purposes, you had no idea that somebody could do and think and be the way they, be the way they were and somebody could not have the capacity to love in return and to love healthfully. So you loved the abusive person with genuine, genuine tea, making up words, um, from a place of vulnerability, 
from a place of compassion and passion and with a want for longevity um, and with a willingness to grow with that person. So the love for you was real. And one of the complexities of grief is recognizing that the love for them wasn't real. Not because of you, not because of your lack of worth, not because of your inability to be loved, because they have an inability to love. So it wasn't real for them, but it was real for you. And your body still feels that it is real. So in those initial, again, weeks, months, years, when you see an abusive partner in a new relationship and you see all those smiley pictures and you think, oh my goodness, this person is experiencing what I didn't get that I lost. Your body is going to relive that because your body, for, for your body, it was real. Your body felt that love. Your body leaned into that love. Your body embodied that love. And so when you see images and when you see people in the street, when you get an accidental text, when whatever modality comes about, when you see them canoodling outside the school gate, whatever it is, your body immediately goes, ah, that's the love I wanted. That's the love I lost because of me, because there's something wrong with me. And so one of the somatic approaches that I work through with survivors is embodying the body, going into the body, feeling into that grief, that grief of, but it was real for me and learning to connect to that grief. And what does it want to say? Um, what do we need to say to validate that grief? How do we teach the body to recognize that it was real for you and to celebrate that because you have the capacity to allow that love to be real? And it was nothing to do with you as a person, why the abuser did not mirror that love back to you, their love back to you, should I say, because they mirrored back your love and that's what you fell in love with, your love, not their love. They didn't have the capacity to give that love. So one of the approaches I work with when it comes to grief is embodying that grief, allowing it to sit in the body. Where does it sit in the body? Where do you feel it? What are those sensations? Sit with it, accept it, talk to it, love it, nurture it. Know that that inner grief that you're feeling is that little girl or that little boy inside of you that's going, hey, it was real for me. That's the love I wanted. Maybe it's a love I've never had before. And in that moment, I felt like I finally got it and I felt like I finally had it and I loved it and I wanted it. I wanted that love. And now that love's gone and I don't understand. And it's a really good chance to connect to that inner self. Um, I know I'm talking over this very quickly and I can do this exercise with you, but yeah, it's that grief is real, that love was real for you. And sometimes I think when people see images of the abusive person in a <laughs> what looks like a loving relationship, I laugh because we know it's not true. The reason why we sometimes get so triggered, and I'm speaking for all the survivors I spoke to who have said similar things about their experience, is when we see that mirrored back at us, what's being mirrored back is the love we feel we have lost, the love we felt we had experienced from the other person. Um, and the reality is 
the love we felt was the love we felt within ourselves that we generated ourselves, and we still have within ourselves to feel and to access and actually what's being mirrored back at us is that same falsity that same enmeshment that same trauma bond that same fakery that manipulation exploitative beginning stages of these individuals relationships in which they need to fabricate that falsity but also that intensity in order to have you believe that you are being in, like falling in love with somebody and that they're falling in love with you and that they're compatible with you and that they're your soulmate but that's simply not true and this is one way of dispelling cognitive dissonance is working with that grief recognizing the deep-rooted stories behind that grief and why you're feeling it validate it embody that truth go into those feelings um, have those conversations and use that as a really amazing tool to guide yourself away from that cognitive dissonance in your head that's still going, ah, oh, it's your fault, ah, oh, you're not good enough, ah, oh, that person's more lovable, ah, oh, no, 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 no. <sighs> that love was always yours. I hope this has been helpful. <laughs>